Yeah, praise God. Praise God once more. Yeah, welcome to our second Wednesday Fellowship, and I am privileged to be doing the theme exposition today. Yeah, I am also quite tense, but yeah, I know the grace is sufficient. Yeah, so how many of us know our theme for this semester? How many of us, Saji? <laughs> Yeah, our theme verse is Christ's sheep, hear his voice. It's from the book of John chapter 10. Yeah. So this will be my flow of thoughts. First, I will help us appreciate the relationship of John 9 to John 10. Then I'll help us appreciate the cultural context of the Israelites during this time. And uh, we'll be handling John 10 from verse 1 to 21. We'll do it in two bits. The first bit will be from verse 1 to 10, and we'll be focusing on the reality of falsehood and Christ as the only means through which man can be saved. The second portion will be from verse 11 to 21, and uh, the topic will be Christ, our good shepherd. So in uh, John chapter 9, Christ heals a blind man, and uh, many questions arise on the legitimacy of the miracles that Jesus had did. We see the neighbors of this man, some questioning whether he was blind and now he can see, but some believe that indeed this man was blind and now he is able to see. And uh, in uh, John 9:16, the Pharisees, they summon this blind man, and there is division among the Pharisees because some of them believe that God believe that Christ is not from God because he did not keep the Sabbath by healing this man on the Sabbath day. But other people, other Pharisees, they respond by saying that a sinner cannot perform miraculous deeds. And for the Pharisees, being righteous meant observing the laws. This is what the Pharisees termed as righteousness. And the fact that Christ healed on the Sabbath meant that Christ was not righteous. And other Pharisees we have seen, they, have, they said that a sinner could not be able to perform such miracles. So there is division. And the religious practice of the, of the Jewish people during that time was called Judaism. For Judaism, the Israelites or the Jewish people believed that since they were in the direct bloodline of Abraham... This for them meant a direct ticket to heaven. And they also believed that observance of the law was able to make them righteous and thus help them attain salvation. And we know that this is not the case because Galatians chapter 2 verse 21, Paul says that he does not put aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be attained through observance of the law, then Christ died for nothing. And uh, Christ responds to, to these people by affirming his position as the Messiah, his role as the good shepherd, and the legitimacy of his ministry. Because these Pharisees, they also expelled the man that had been healed. They were not interested that this man indeed was blind, but now he could see. But they were all pushing for their own agenda and trying to, fall, to find fault in what Christ has done. And during this time, 
the religious leaders and the political leaders were referred to as shepherds. And now Christ responding to them, he was saying that the Pharisees were not good shepherds and Christ was the one and only true shepherd. So on the cultural context, we we'll see that the Israelites, they were an agrarian community. This means that their main social economic activity was agriculture and herding of animals. So during this time when Christ was using the analogy of the sheep and the shepherds, the Pharisees were able to relate with what Christ was saying because we know that Christ used figures of speech that were familiar and well understood by people of that time. So that was their cultural context. So for we can now delve into John 10. And the word of God says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So Christ is contrasting two people. A man trying to access the sheepfold by the pen, by the fence, and another man trying to access the sheepfold by the way of the gatekeeper. And Christ is telling us that the man who accesses the sheepfold by the way of the gatekeeper is the true shepherd. And uh, in this context, the sheep pen refers to Judaism. The sheep refer to the Israelites. And uh, the sheepfold also refers to salvation. And uh, from this text, we see that we have a gatekeeper. So during the time of the Israelites, we had two types of shepherds. We had urban shepherds and rural shepherds. For the urban shepherds, when they were moving from one city to another they would find a central sheep pen and many shepherds would come and uh, have their flock stay there for the night. And when morning came, the shepherds would come and access their sheep by the way of the gate. So Christ contrasts these two people, one trying to access the sheepfold over the fence and another person who is uh, the true shepherd accessing the sheep pen through the gatekeeper. This was a direct confrontation to the Pharisees because they said they were questioning if Christ was really from God. But with this, Christ is telling them that he came through the right means. He came through the way of the gatekeeper. He's the one who has been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And he's also the one who has come to deliver the Israelites from Judaism to salvation. Praise God. And Christ here is referring to all these other Pharisees as thieves and robbers because they have not come through the right way. And uh, verse 4, verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So here Christ has already brought out these Israelites from uh, Judaism into salvation by the way of the gates. 
And uh, he's telling us that he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And uh, I would like us to pause and ask our questions. What is this voice that Christ is talking about? The voice that Christ is talking about here is the word of God. And for a believer, for a believer, listening to the word of God, listening to the voice of God and following Christ would mean responding to what he has spoken in his word through obedience. And for an unbeliever, listening to the voice of God would mean accepting to come out from whatever shipfold you are in, whatever bondage of sin you are in, and accepting to receive this free gift of salvation that Christ is offering. And we all know that it is impossible to, to follow and to, to obey what God has taught us in his word if you are not born again. As Romans 8 will tell us that the, the heart of an unbeliever is hostile towards the law of God. And uh, the psalmist will tell us that a man who has been born again delights in the law of God. So for you to be able even to, to respond and to follow what Christ is saying, first you need to be born again and then through the conviction that is in your heart and through the transformation and regeneration that has taken place, you are able to respond to the voice of God in obedience. And we know that during these last days, God has revealed himself to us through his son. This we get from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. God has revealed himself to us through his son. And we also know that the son of God who is Christ is the, is the incarnate word of God. For the word became flesh in John 1 14. And verse 5. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So this sheep had a very close and intimate relationship with their shepherd. And the voice of their shepherd became so familiar that this sheep did not need to see the face of their shepherd for them to, to respond to him by following him. And this is what we are called to those of us who have already been saved from our sins and now we belong to this new sheepfold of God and Christ being the shepherd. The only way that we'll be able to recognize the voice of our shepherd if we, is if we spend more time with him. And that will mean spending more time in his presence through reading his word, through prayer, through solitude, through meditation of his word and all these other means of grace that Christ has availed to us. And verse 7, Christ tells us that therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Christ is saying that he is the gate. I told you that we had two kinds of shepherds. We had urban shepherds and rural shepherds. So for the rural shepherds, they will take care of their flock the whole day. 
And when night came, they would erect temporary sheds to enclose their sheep. And uh, the shepherd would lie at the gate. And him lying at the gate or lying at the entrance of that sheep pen, that shepherd became the gate. Because for anyone to access the sheep, he needed to go through the gate. Praise God. And now Christ here is telling us that he is the gate. And anyone who comes in and goes, anyone who, pardon yeah, Christ is saying that he is the gate for the sheep, and uh, whoever enters through me will be saved. Here Christ is echoing or uh, reaffirming what he had said from verse 1 to 6. He's saying that in order for anyone to be saved, he had to go through the gate. And this was not what the Pharisees were advocating for. The Pharisees were advocating for another means of salvation, which was apart from Christ. And uh, John 14 verse 6 will also tell us that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And we also get to see that during this time, the Pharisees were the false teachers of that time. And it's also to pose a question to us, who are the false teachers of our time? And how are we able to respond to them? How are we able to know what is the true gospel and be able to differentiate it from the counterfeit gospel? And the answer to that is to spend more time with your shepherd so that you can be able to recognize his voice. Praise God. And Christ is also saying in verse 8 that all whoever be came before him were thieves and robbers. And here he was referring to the Pharisees because they did not come by the right way. They did not come by the legitimate way. They came by the way of the fence. And any other shepherd who will be termed as a true shepherd is one who will come through the way that Christ came for pointing people to salvation as Christ did, preaching the same gospel of salvation that Christ was preaching. Yeah, and he tells us that the thief came to steal, kill, and, and destroy. And we know that the ultimate thief is the devil. And also 1 Peter 5.8 reaffirms this by telling us that the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. And we have said that as Christ, as the true shepherd or as the rural shepherd, laid down at the entrance of that gate of the sheep pen and became the gate, any person who wanted to access the sheep pen would have to go through, through him. And here we also get a sense of security because the shepherd became the first point of contact of any danger so that if any wild animals would want to attack the sheep, they would have to go through the shepherd. And... Uh, the shepherd here offered security because of his proximity to the sheep. And for the sheep also to be safe, they had to stay near their shepherd. Praise God. And this is just a call for us because Christ is telling us that he's the one and true shepherd. For the security that we need, all that we need can be found in him. Yeah, there was something that I was to say and I think I forgot when I started. Yeah, so I would want us to appreciate why Christ used sheep in this analogy. Yeah, this will really help us and uh, it relates also to us. Yeah, so the first thing is that sheep are senseless. Yeah, our sheep are foolish. Yeah, I know most of us have used that simile as foolish as a sheep. Yeah, so that is true. And uh, sheep are defenseless. 
And we have also seen that for them to be safe, they need to be at very close proximity with their shepherd. And uh, sheep are also prone to wander. Yeah, sheep are prone to wander. Many times they wander away from the flock, the rest of the flock. And uh, sheep are easily frightened. Still what, running water would make sheep afraid. And so I will pose a question to us. We know that the security of God is sure. Christ has told us that he is the gate. He is the point of contact of anything that will try to come in and harm his sheep. So you would ask yourself, is, is this text even relevant? We are protected. We know that Christ is, uh, is going to protect us regardless. But we have just said that sheep are prone to wander. Sheep are prone to wander away from the fold of God. And I was thinking and I told myself, the only thing that would make a sheep leave the rest of the flock, leave the protection of the shepherd, was if this sheep thought that going away from the shepherd would mean getting greener pastures, going away from the shepherd would mean more security, and uh, this is also true for us. Most of the time we tend to to wander away from the fold of God, looking for other things apart from Christ, thinking that there is something out there that will satisfy our souls apart from Christ. But we say that the only way for a sheep to stay safe is to be in close proximity with its shepherd. So the more we wander away from God, the more our spiritual life will deteriorate and uh, the more we expose ourselves to the pleasures of this world and that will mean straining our relationship with God and I was thinking of uh, past, the story of the Passover from uh, Exodus chapter 12 when the angel of death was passing and killing the firstborn sons of the Israelites and uh, the of the Egyptians sorry and the Israelites stayed indoors because of the blood that has, had been smeared on the doorpost and uh, the only thing that would have made any Israelite to, to leave the safety of his or her house and go outside was if he or she was sure that wherever he was going, he, he would find more and better protection that what, than what was being offered. And we know that, that the, we know that the moment any of the Israelites would leave their houses and go outside, they would die. And so this is just to tell us that there is nothing else that we need apart from, from Christ. Christ is able to satisfy our souls. We were made for him and by him. That means that nothing else will do, nothing else will satisfy. And this calls for us to, to stay closer to our Savior. And Christ knew that we are prone to wander. And uh, it's also a time for us to reflect how many times we have... Uh, wandered away from the fold of God. How many times we have sought for other pleasures of this world apart from what Christ is offering. And Christ is gracious, and if you have wandered away, yeah, there is uh, a solution, because Christ knows that as sheep we are prone to go astray. And for those of us who have wandered away, it's also a time for us to come back to God in repentance, as First uh, John 1, 9 will tell us. And Christ is faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And this is also to tell us that in salvation there is nothing that you're missing out. As verse 9 will put it, 
verse 9, part A, he will come in and go out and find pasture. This is just to show us that there is liberty in uh, salvation. We are no longer slaves to sin. So there is, there is, yeah, there is joy in salvation. Are we together? Yeah. And uh, in the same spirit of wandering away from the fold of God, First Peter 2.25 will say, You are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Yeah, Christ is the true shepherd of our souls. Yes, we have other under shepherds and stewards who have been entrusted leadership over the flock of God. But as long as they do not affirm or... Uh, preach the same gospel that Christ preached, then they are false prophets of our days. Yeah. So from uh, verse 10, verse 11, from verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yeah, that is just a contrast of the plan that God has for you and the plan that the devil has for you. So choose wisely. The enticement, the pleasures of this world may seem pleasing, but their ultimate end is death. But Christ has come so that we may have life and life everlasting. Praise God. And from verse 11, Christ says that he is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ here was speaking figuratively of his death on the cross. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The hired hand here is the false prophet's. The false prophets of this era that Christ was addressing, the Pharisees to be specific. We've seen that they came in through the wrong means. They do not have the interest of the flock that they are shepherding at heart. So they would run away if danger would arise. This was just Christ warning the Israelites of what the Pharisees were like. And it's also a call for us to be alert and know that falsehood is a reality. Falsehood is present with us. And we need to be more sober and alert and diligent in studying God's word to be able to know the true and the false prophets of our days. 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So here Christ is likening his relationship to the sheep to the relationship that he has with the father. And we know that the relationship between Christ and uh, God the Father and God the Son is a very close relationship. And when the good shepherd says that he knows his sheep, it's because he knows his sheep. So what the shepherds used to do was, when the sheep were from grazing and they were coming into the sheep pen, the shepherds would inspect their sheep and see... And, uh, 
See if they had any deformities, if they had any injuries, if they were sick, the color, they knew their sheep very well. And when Christ is telling us he knows us, it's because he knows us. Christ is a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. And I've said that sheep are also easily frightened. And uh, even running water would uh, scare a sheep away. But in Psalms 23, Christ, who is the good shepherd, the Lord who is our good shepherd, he leads his sheep beside still waters. With this, we get to see that Christ understands his sheep. It's maybe it's the sheep who don't understand Christ. Because they will see maybe still waters. Yeah, it's not something good. And they will want maybe to go for running water. But Christ knows that this running water is... Uh, Dangerous for this sheep. That's how much Christ knows us. And uh, in uh, in Hebrews chapter, yeah, I think I forgot to write. But in Hebrews, Christ tells us that He is uh, our High Priest who understands us, who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. He has been tempted in each and every way, yet without sin, and in all that he did not sin. So Christ is telling us, I know what you're going through. I know what is best for you. And I think with us having this knowledge and knowing the heart of Christ, knowing that Christ willingly laid down his life for us, I think this should call us to have more confidence in Christ because we know that ultimately whatever he's doing is for the good of the flock or the good of the believer. And uh, so he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. For the sheep during that time, knowing their shepherd meant that they had spent more time with him. So can you really say that you know your God? Can you, can you really say that you know your shepherd? Do you know the word? Do you know what the scripture says? Do you spend time with God through reading his word? So that's the only way you can know God. Because this scripture is the very breath of God. And you have said that scripture is the incarnate. No, Christ is the incarnate word. Yeah, so Christ is the very substance of this word. And for us believers, this scripture is sufficient. There is nothing else that you're looking for apart from what has been provided for us here. And uh, I think this is also affirmed in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. The word of God is breathed by God. This is the very breath of God, and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training us in righteousness that every man, will, that man may be equipped for every good word. Praise God. So there is nothing that you're looking for apart from Christ. I remember I was, as I was going through the book of John during my devotions, I think there was a certain situation that Christ was going through. And uh, most of the disciples, I think, they ran. And uh, Peter said, he told Christ that, where would I go? Because your word is eternal life. Reading the word does not save you. But the substance of this word, who is Christ, is the one that is able to save us. We have already agreed that good works cannot save us. And in Matthew 5, when God was, Christ was talking about the fulfillment of the law, in Matthew 5 from verse, is it 17? But in Matthew 5, 20, Christ told us that he came to 
fulfill the law. We agree that the law is not bad, but the law cannot save you. Doing good things cannot save you. And in Matthew 5.20, Christ tells us that you can only go to heaven if your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. And you know that the Pharisees kept the law to the latter, but it was not able to save them. What Christ is looking for is looking for a transformed heart, mind, and, and uh, soul. And now from this, the outflow of what will come out is good works. So we are saved to do good works, but good works do not save us. Praise God. Yeah, so Christ is the only gate through which man can be saved. Sixteen, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So we said when we were starting that the sheep pen that Christ was referring to was the Israelites. We know that salvation started with the Jews. Christ was a Jew. Salvation came from the Jews. And so the Jews thought that since they were from the bloodline of Abraham, they were the only ones who, who had direct access to heaven, and they saw other people as sinners. So it was Jews going to heaven, and the rest of the other people were sinners. But when Christ is saying that he has other sheep not of that fold, and he will bring them together, and there will be one flock and one sheep. Christ is talking about the Gentiles. Christ is talking about us. Christ is talking about the non-Jewish communities. So that us, we are able to become sons of Abraham by faith and inherit this promise. Praise God. So salvation has been offered freely to us by God. God is not telling you to do good work so that you can be saved. God is telling you, come as you are and receive this free gift of salvation. For salvation is only by grace through faith. And what joy it is that we also get to, to be included and be part and partakers and share in this promise of the, of the Jewish nation or of Abraham. The promise of God to Abraham through faith. And Christ in verse 17, he tells us that the reason his father loves him is because he's laid down his life only to take it up again. Yeah. This is the climax of what Christ did. Christ laid down his life for us by dying on the cross, by dying a death that we deserved. Praise God and living a life that we could not live. We, are, we have agreed that it is impossible to fully meet the requirements of the law. For God does not demand for physical observance of the law, but God requires a clean heart. The heart of man is deceitful, among other things, who can trust it. But that is the kind of salvation that God is calling us to. God is calling us to... to renew our hearts and renew our minds and from that transformation from that regeneration we are able to do the good works that we have been called to praise god and christ is telling us that he laid down his life only to take it up again and that makes him a very good shepherd by the way 
he laid down his life for us to be reconciled to God. And it, it did not end with him laying down his life, but he took it also up again in resurrection. And Christ has promised us that he will be with us till the end of the age. He will not leave us and he will not forsake us. And him taking up his life is a proof that he is a promise keeper. Because we know that when Christ resurrected, he ascended to heaven. And through the ascension of Christ to heaven, we were able to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. So the protection, the presence of Christ is sure. And he's a God who keeps all his promises. No one can take it from me, 18, but I lay it down on my own accord. Christ was not forced to die for his sheep. Christ willingly laid down his life for us. And that is how much Christ loved us. John 3.16, Christ loved the world and he gave now we can recite John 3.16 for God. Yes, God is calling us to everlasting life by believing in Christ. And we have seen that Christ willingly laid down his life. That is how much Christ loves us. I don't know how much our parents love us. I don't know how much our better halves love us but one thing that is sure christ loves us praise god and he's not going to leave us he's not going to forsake us Nineteen. at this was the jews were again divided many of them said he is demon-possessed and driving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we see that even as we near concluding, there is still division. Some still believe that eh, this man, what he's doing, it's not normal, it's out of the ordinary. And others believe that he's demon-possessed. So what the Jews believed in Judaism, they did not believe in the person and in the work of Christ. Praise God. So they saw that this person was claiming to be God. It's either he was mad, it's either he was a blasphemer, it's either he was demon-possessed, but he cannot be from God. I know in our theory we know, that, we know the expectations that the Jews had about the Messiah, a political figure a man who would have been born in a very good life, but Christ came as a humble man, and so they were really battling with this, and they did not believe in the person of Christ, and they were still divided even after all this. So in this text, we have come to appreciate the, the reality of falsehood, and we have come to appreciate Christ as our good shepherd, Christ who has the best interest of his flock at heart. And uh, with this, we have also appreciated that the only way for one to be able to discern the voice of his shepherd is by spending time with his shepherd. 
And we thank God for the different means of grace that he has availed to us to be able to commune with him, to be able to spend more time in his presence, to be able to fellowship with him, some of which are, we have scripture. Scripture is the very word of God, as we have said. It's his very breath. And uh, as uh, a union, we bless the Lord because we have Bible study, which is to start next uh, month. And so this is a call for all of us to register for Bible study if you want to grow in the Word of God. This is the best place to spur one another and to, to grow in your knowledge of interpreting the Word of God. Prayer. Prayer is also one way of communing with God. And we, we are called to pray according to the will of God. And it's safe to assume, since the Scripture is the will of God, a praying believer is a believer who reads the word of God. Praise God. So that's how we are able to pray according to the will of God. We also have prayer groups. Yeah, we have prayer groups. Our prayer secretary will tell us more. We also have morning devotion. You can join us for morning devotion as we pray together and commune with God and spend more time with this good shepherd. We have said that sheep are prone to wander. Sheep are prone to leave the sheepfold and wander away. And we also thank God because here in the union we have ministries and we have ETs where there is great fellowship, there is great accountability, and that's what we need to be able to interact with one another, to be able to share our struggles, to confess our sins one to another and keep each other accountable because we have seen that as sheep we are prone to wander. Praise God. Yeah, so also this one is a good fellowship. So make sure even as you leave, you, you fellowship with a brother. Yeah. And as I was also preparing for, for this sermon, I was reminded of uh, a hymn. Yeah, yet not I. Yeah, just reflecting that indeed salvation is by grace. It's a gift from God. It's not that we deserved it, but it's because of the love that Christ has for us. And uh, as we sing this theme, I would invite us to, to meditate upon its words, yeah, which relates to what we have been talking about. Yeah, we'll sing the first two stanzas. What gift of grace is Jesus, my
Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the gift of salvation, my God. Thank you for reminding us that there is nothing that you're looking for apart from you, for your sufficient, my God. Thank you for the gifts of salvation. Thank you for the death at Calvary, my God. Father, because we were able to be reconciled back to you because of that which you did, my God, that which you did not deserve. And thank you for reminding us that there is no other way that man can be saved apart from believing in you, my God. And even as we continue on reflecting on you as our good shepherd, my God, Father, I pray that you may forgive us our sins, my God. Father, for the many times that we have wandered, my God, for the many times that we have been ensnared, my God, by our own desires, my God, and uh, pleasures of the world, my God. Father, we come to you in repentance, my God, confessing our sins, my God, and we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, my God. Thank you, Father, because you are a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, my God. And Father, this gives us all the confidence to, to approach you, my God. And thank you, my God, Father, for your word that has come forth, my God. For we know that your, your word does not come forth in vain, my God. Father, help us to continue delighting in your law, my God. And just like the psalmist, my God, we may put our... Put your word in our hearts that we may not sin against thee, my God. Help us to be alert, my God. Help us to follow your voice, my God, through your word, my God, and be able to know that which is counterfeit, my God, from that which is true, my God. And Father, for those of us, my God, Father, who are yet to, to receive you, my God, Father, I pray that you may continue convicting their hearts, my God. You who, my God, understands the hearts of men, my God. You who know your own people, my God. Father, I pray that you may continue convicting the hearts of those who have not come to your knowledge, my God. That they may leave whatever sheepfolds they are in, my God. That they may leave the world, my God. Leave their sin, my God. And come into your salvation, my God. Father, for you have promised us life and life in abundance, my God. And even as we progress with the rest of the semester, my God, I pray that you may help us abide, my God, so that you may be able to bear fruit. This I have prayed in the mighty name of Jesus.